Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 539 of the podcast and it is Saturday the 13th of March 2021 as I record this. So in today's show I'm talking to Tara Kremen from Kobo Writing Life about how to be successful publishing on Kobo and we talk about international publishing, pricing, going wide, book marketing tips on Kobo and more. So that is coming up in the interview. In publishing news, uh, just a couple of things. Mark Dawson and the SPF team have launched HelloBooks.com, a new ebook promotion service, which you can go sign up for now. And this is in the same vein as BookBub and Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy and basically a paid email newsletter blast service for readers in specific genres. And of course, it is in all of our interests to grow these kind of marketing opportunities. Most of us base our regular book promotional stuff around these types of services. So definitely check it out at hellobooks.com. Also, last week I talked about Clubhouse, the audio-only real-time social app, and I postulated that it wouldn't be that useful for us internationally because it has to be live and there's no ability to record, and that's also part of its attraction because it can be sort of secret and exclusive, And but that just doesn't work when you run an international business and everyone is not on your time zone. So I also didn't really fancy building up a new network, so I did give it a go, but I, I just wasn't really that into it. Um, But (laughs) it does seem like it's just the start. Twitter unveiled spaces. I mean, they've been talking about this for a while, but it's been back in the news because because of Clubhouse. It looks like it will be open in April. Uh, It's open right now for some uh, small amount of people, but spaces will essentially be audio only chat rooms. But it sounds like there might be an ability to record. So I definitely prefer, you know, a Twitter product over Clubhouse since I have spent a decade building my audience on Twitter, like literally. In fact, it might even be more than a decade. I think I got on Twitter in 2009. (laughs) So uh, Facebook is also rumoured to be building something similar. So I'm excited about this because as I've talked about many times before, I much prefer audio to video and you're getting, you're still getting to, you know, it's that no like and trust aspect. Yes, video can give you that, but audio can too, because you can hear expression in my voice. And yes, there, there can be deep fake audio as much as deep fake video. And I kind of feel like the audio, the way we connect with audio is a very deep way. And so an audio extra, sort of a more relaxed audio style thing would be great that I wouldn't have to edit and produce in the same way that I do the podcast. So yeah, we shall see. But I think finding ways to connect authentically with your audience is really important. And it's something that I definitely look at also for my fiction, because over the years, I just keep going back and back and going, oh, I really just don't want to do videos. (laughs) And they say that it's always a good thing to do, but uh, they are not necessarily introverts or who want to bother with, you know, putting makeup on and stuff. (laughs) 
Anyway, there we go. That's interesting. Also, hopefully you caught my in-between episode on blockchain for copyright protection, smart contracts, digital scarcities and nifties, which I have been told by several of you is how to pronounce NFTs. So nifties is what we now call them. Lots of you sent comments. I'm going to read a few, um, but uh, you found it really interesting. So I'm so thrilled about that. I certainly had a bumper week last week on the podcast with Stephen Pressfield and then blockchain. (laughs) Thank you so much. And obviously it's early for sure on these things, but my aim with these extra shows is to look to the architecture of five years time, so 2025 and also a decade ahead. After all, we are in this for the long term, creatives. Also, I have to keep myself interested. because always looking ahead, always thinking of the new thing. That is what I enjoy. I find the present state sometimes, I I love the creation process, but the the present state of publishing can be, um, you know, not too exciting. It's just like what we do. But the future state is fascinating. Right in my personal update this week, final finishing energy for how to make a living with your writing, the third edition, turn your words into multiple streams of income, which is out now. It's out today, 15th of March as this goes out and 2021. And I will be talking more about that in a minute. The Mapwalker trilogy is also now out in ebook, paperback, and audiobook on all the major platforms. Looks very cool as an ebook and audiobook box set and as an omnibus print edition. I haven't got my copy yet, but it looks really good on the print files. <laughs> I've got my copy on in the post. It was also my birthday this week, and I was writing a lot about what Stephen Pressfield was saying, and many of you also found the interview resonated with you a lot. I always love talking to Steve. He's very honest. And he talked about your books of potential and writing the book you're scared of next. And life is ticking away, creatives. And I definitely ticked over the middle age (laughs) number. So I made two decisions. So I have booked the Camino Frances in 2022, which is over 760 kilometres from the south of France to Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain, northwestern Spain. And I've been wanting to do this for 25 years. And if you've been listening to my books and travel podcast, you will know how often I talk about it and talk to other people about it. So it is booked and obviously things might change. But if we don't put things in the schedule, we will never get to them. Like really, you have to clear the space. And so I will be clearing the space. So I'm pretty excited about that. I also started researching the shadow book properly. Now, those of you who've been listening for years have heard me mention this a number of times, uh, but basically I have actually started the research process in earnest. I studied the psychology of religion at the University of Oxford years ago, which is where I first read Carl Jung and really first heard of the shadow. I mean, I guess I did an A-level in the UK, that's 16 to 18 year old. I did an A-level in psychology. So I probably heard about it then. And then I did psychology of religion and read a lot of Jung. And if you've read my Stone of Fire, it's got a lot to do with Carl Jung as well. And it's come up in my life over and over again, this idea of the shadow. And I've got a lot of personal writing on it. And uh, so I feel like this is the book when Steve said, you know, the books of potential or the book that you're scared of. This is the one because I'm afraid that I cannot do it justice. But I also feel like I've written a lot of books at this point. So it probably is time for me to try and catch the tail of the tiger. (laughs) 
And also, Jonathan and I, you know, on our walks along the canal, which we still do every day, uh, it, we were talking about, well, what would you regret if you died right now? This is one of our fun conversations. But, you know, I think, uh, I mean, the pandemic and birthdays and these things bring these questions to home and uh, you know what do we actually want to achieve what are the books of potential and the two things that I want to do I would if I died like right now I would be upset as I go up into the ether I um, I would be upset about not writing the shadow book and I would be upset about not walking the Camino Frances there are lots of Caminos but this is the one I have always thought about Obviously, I'm still going to get on with all the other things. I'm I'm intending to get to Day of the Martyr in terms of my next fiction project, but I'm waiting for the British Museum exhibition to open post lockdown. <laughs> this this might just be an excuse, but I do get so many ideas when I go to the British Museum. I've written a number of books out of the British Museum. Probably um, one of the main ones being um, Day of the Vikings, which I went to a Viking exhibition, and then my the book is actually set as a group of neo Vikings storm the British Museum to rescue, um, well, to liberate one of their sort of uh, ancient swords. And uh, that was fun. (laughs) So I love the British Museum. I also, uh, what is it, Uh, Crypt of Bone is also based on an exhibition there. My short story, The Dark Queen, also based on an exhibition. I just find it so... And in fact, in my Brooke and Daniel series, Blake Daniel actually works at the British Museum. He's a researcher, so (laughs) I'm obsessed with the place. So yes, I'm going to get into that. But I wanted to mention it because given the numbers of emails and comments and tweets, I'll read a few in a minute, but there were so many. Last week's show really resonated with many of you and you're reflecting on this too. So this is the challenge today for you. What book are you most scared of writing? So when you know when you're thinking about what write what book to write next, what are you most scared of? And if you were going to like if you were like, oh I I'm die I've died and now I'm going off to wherever you feel you're going off to next, uh what would you regret not writing or not doing if you were at that moment and you know, news flash. It's going to happen eventually, hopefully not soon. But we can't count our years into the future. We can only measure our lives by what we create over time. And yeah, I think this is so important. I'm just feeling this more and more. So there you go. I'm into it. And I have lots of ideas about how I will do the shadow book as I care about it so much. It really is possibly the thing that I will do some uh, limited edition hardbacks, maybe a limited edition nifty. You never know. (laughs) But I'm really thinking about that. Okay, so just a couple of emails and tweets and comments. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the number of comments on the blog, on YouTube, your tweets and some emails. Lots of people emailing me about how excited they are about all these things. Uh, Casey says, I'm starting to love the idea of co-writing with AI from uh, a few shows back. Your shows have inspired me to be less worried and afraid and more excited and to try and understand how they worked, how they work. Um, Peter said on the blockchain and nifty episode, this is probably one of the most interesting podcasts I've listened to in a long time. The opportunities blockchain offers are intriguing to say the least. Thank you for providing me as usual with a truckload of food for thought. And Imogen Clark just said, mind blown. 
Lots of comments on that, but also on uh, Stephen Pressfield, Bob says, thanks for the interview. I really identified with him. He mentioned his feelings about the memoir he's writing and writing about failure. I have a lot of small wins and many failures in the memoir I'm writing. Uh, I too have had books come out that just faded away. I will listen to this podcast again because it is so full of information that I fear and face every day in my writing. And don't worry, Bob, we all have books that have just faded away. (laughs) Absolutely. But I also think the encouraging thing, encouraging thing about Steve's interview is that he, you know, sometimes it might ten, take 10 years. Maybe it will take 20 years. Who knows? I mean, yeah. Books don't age. I mean, they might. Well, no, that's not true. Some non-fiction books age and some fiction books age if if they are written in a particular way. But people can still enjoy them years later. Jeanette said, great interview. I resonate with Stephen on so many levels. I'm up to my fifth book in a series and I am humbled to follow the muse. And finally, Stephen said, hearing another writer talk about his very personal writing trials and tribulations was my biggest takeaway. It made me feel that I was not alone. It also filled me with hope, considering that some projects can take as many as 15 years to succeed. Indeed. Well, thank you everyone for your emails and tweets and comments. I really appreciate it. So today's show is sponsored by my own book out today, How to Make a Living with Your Writing, the third edition, Turn Your Words into Multiple Streams of Income. This is a complete rewrite or almost a complete rewrite, like a 95% rewrite. And there are lots more additional sections. It's about 15,000 words longer and packed with useful ways to make money with your books as well as with other forms of income. Thanks to everyone who completed the survey. And there are lots of quotes from many of you in the book, as well as resources and ways to take the ideas further. It covers principles around mindset as well as the practicalities, the fundamentals of your book as an intellectual property asset, ways to make more money with books, including a new section on selling direct, plus your author ecosystem, affiliate income, crowdfunding and patronage, speaking, online courses, freelance writing, merchandise and products, coaching, consulting, author services, grants, PLR and more. So out now in ebook on all the usual platforms and hopefully in your library if you like to borrow it also paperback large print hardback plus there is a companion workbook with the questions in so you can write your answers you can also buy the ebook and audiobook directly from me payhip.com forward slash the creative pen and you can use coupon lockdown all caps until the end of march 2021 for 50% off everything in my store which includes all my ebooks and many of the audiobooks which you can listen to in the book funnel app the audiobook will be available on all the usual platforms in the next month as it filters through onto the various things. For all the links, go to thecreativepen.com forward slash make a living or just search how to make a living with your writing pen, P-E-N-N, on your favourite retailer. So thank you for everyone also supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, thanks to new and returning patrons in the last few weeks, Karen Inglis, Natalie Roberts, Jin Holland, Ashley Henderson and Bree Dent. Thank you everyone for supporting the show on Patreon. You can support the show with a few dollars or euros or GBP or Canadian dollars uh, a month, a few coffees a month if you're generous and uh, you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I will be recording this week. And uh, you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview with Tara. 
Tara Kremen is the Senior Manager for Author Experience at Rakuten Kobo, heading up the Kobo Writing Life team. Welcome, Tara. Thanks, for Joanna, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah, it's great to talk about this stuff. So tell us a bit more about you and your background in writing and bookselling and publishing. Sure. So um, I'm originally from Ireland. Uh, I've been living in Canada for about eight years. So my background has come from American literature. That's what I studied in university. Um, So after that, I moved to Canada for wanting to live in a a very large city, as I like to think of Ireland as one big small town. Um, So I wanted the bigger city life. I've always been really, really interested in books and reading and book selling. Um, And when I came here, I was super interested in how books merged with technology. So I traveled a little bit after university and read a lot of classics, um, mostly because that's what was left in hostel libraries um, back when you were, you know, you were trying to figure out which book to carry ones at a time. Like I would always just have three (laughs) rotated. Yeah, yeah. And swap them, swap them in the hostel (laughs) something else (laughs) yeah and it was often there wasn't that much to choose from or like you're just reading the same stuff over and over again um so when I moved to Toronto this job opportunity came with Kobo and I was like super interested in like ebooks um just as kind of convenience and having like all your books in one place that was kind of interesting to me so um, when I started working at Kobo, I was working as the frontline um, for what was brand new at the time, which was Kobo Writing Life. I was answering the emails and helping people with everything to do with um, uploading their books and stuff like that. Um, and this really sparked an interest in me as like wanting to learn more about like the technicalities behind the EPUBs themselves. You know, I wanted to jump in and like fix issues rather than just sending the emails out. Um, so joining the Kobo content team, um, I was able to do that. Um, and it really kind of gave me a, a very quick learning Um, I mean, I guess a very quick lesson in publishing and Canadian publishing in general and meeting a bunch of people that were so entrenched in the publishing industry. Um, And personally, Kobo was great because as somebody that was new and didn't know a lot of Canadians, I was able to jump into this company and have basically a whole group of friends because it's like, oh, I get to work with like people that like books as well. Like you just automatically have something in common, which is always I'm very grateful of. So yeah, learned a lot about publishing there and then kind of wanted to apply this to the indie community in general, which is how I've got into the role that I'm in now. So uh, a lot of Kobo history, um, but um, I think it's good because I get to um, give the expertise of like behind the book. um, I understand what goes in towards it and then also understand um, the community in general and what we need. Um, So yeah, Yeah, in in a long nutshell. (laughs) No, that's great. And it is really interesting. I came to Toronto a number of, I can't remember what year it was anymore. Time seemed to have gone gone weird in the pandemic. But I was really impressed by how lovely the, the Kobo team are there and how friendly everyone was. So I can imagine going there when you just arrived in the country and just feeling very welcome, which is, which is lovely. But let's take it up a level. So in case people don't know, what is Kobo and how many countries does it reach? And and what are the sort of primary markets? Sure. So Kobo is a digital book retailer um, that just sells ebooks and audiobooks. Um, and it also makes some of the best e-reading devices in the world. 
I would say the best e-reading devices, but there's others out there. Um, but so we focus on digital reading. So we don't do any print books, which just really allows us to have our focus on e-books and audiobooks alone. And we really um, focus on the reading experience. So everything we do is about making the reading lives better. Um, so whether it's kind of making sure that our apps are really good, um, you can adjust the fonts, making sure the devices are as ergonomic as they can be. Um, Kobo's ethos is not to get you into our site to sell you something else because we literally just sell books. So um, that's what we're all about all the time. We're headquartered in Toronto, but we have a reach that's all over the world. Our parent company is Rakuten, which is Japanese uh, e-commerce giant. And that has definitely helped us have a reach um, everywhere else in the world. Canada being the home territory is our main market. So with authors, it's very common to see that Canada would be your kind of top seller there. And then after that, like not in any particular order, um, but we have a good uh, market share within Australia, New Zealand. And then in Europe, especially in like France, the Netherlands and Italy, um, which is a bit of a, a, a span of countries. But we, we really do have a space everywhere. Um, and we understand that book markets are kind of unique in each geo. So, you know, book selling as a whole can be one thing, but there's nuances in every area. So we actually do have team on the ground um, or teams on the ground in certain countries because we know that it needs kind of um, a personal touch. So like for Cobra Writing Life, for example, I have colleagues that are in France and in Italy and in the Netherlands. And um, so they're really focusing on making that experience better. Um, and that really leads to growth in these areas that we're not just coming in and trying to give you the Canadian book experience. Um, we wanna go to Australia and give Australian readers the Australian book experience. Um, in that kind of way. And uh, Joanna, you often share your map. So I'm curious about what's the most surprising place that you've sold a book through Kobo? Oh, I'm always, and at the moment I'm up to 159 countries out of 190. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so I'm always thrilled with this, but I'm, I'm always impressed by how many readers there are in sub-Saharan Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, that I never think of. People often ask me about international marketing and I'm like, well, if you're, even if your book is just available in, in some of these countries, if someone then starts, um, opens uh, the Kobo app, or we'll talk about partnerships in the middle, but if someone uh, looking for a book and they type in something on their usually mobile device then they have a chance to find your book so I it's funny I don't know how these readers I mean maybe everyone listening to the podcast is in all of these different countries but equally it may just be searched so I, it's so interesting to me how far your international reach can go but a couple of things I just wanted to remind people that Kobo is an anagram of book <laughs> It is. <laughs> I, I feel like people don't realise that. They're like, why Kobo? Like, yeah, well, there you go. So Anagam Book. And also, so you mentioned France, the Netherlands, Italy. Uh, obviously, Canada has French, Canadian. How much of the site is sort of English language? And what are the other languages that, that you're doing? Um, I don't know if I can break it down like X percent is uh, this or that, but we do have several localised stores. I want to say there's like 30 plus um, storefronts that we have dedicated to those countries. Um, so whatever languages are available 
in those areas, we try and localize as much as possible. I was trying to think of what our latest ones added are. I'm looking at a map now, <laughs> um, but we have we have very many. Actually, if you if the way to that to easily see this is if you go to Kobo.com, there's a map at the at the top of the bar, and uh, it'll default to where you currently are. But if you click on that, um, it'll lead you to a page with a bunch of other maps, and that shows you where we have localized storefronts. And then at the very bottom, there's what we call um, a rest of world store, where there's kind of one store to handle perhaps your sub-Saharan African readers where they can access books there. And uh, we're also like merchandising those spaces too. So it is a lot of um, trying to make the uh, book selling experience as um, unique as possible in each area. You mentioned devices and of course Kobo has devices but uh, there's also apps and Kobo also works in global markets in a partnership model which I think is one of the unique aspects which some uh, other companies (laughs) don't necessarily do. So what are some of the examples of the partnerships that work and so how does this expand the reach outside of just Kobo.com? Sure. And yeah, you mentioned our app. So we have the e-reading devices and um, a lot of people may not realize that we do have apps that are available to download for free on any app store. We have iOS and Android apps that we maintain. And something that's really great about those is that we have audiobooks and ebooks within one app. Um, and also the subscription, if um, Google Plus, if that's in your area, it's all in one space on an app. Um, so it's quite convenient. Um, And in terms of partners, it was something that Kobo figured out very early on that the way to really make um, a splash with digital publishing was to take advantage of of, um, really strategic partnerships around the world. We pride ourselves in just making friends early, you know, the the cliche of the friendly Canadian, but it, it kind of works. So we have lots of partners all over the world. Some of them are online commerce stores, and then some of them are brick and mortar booksellers. Um, and we work together to offer ebooks and audiobooks to their customers. So, um, kind of some examples of these would be um, Fnac in France is a partner of ours, um, and Fnac sells physical books, but they also sell a whole number of other products. Um, we partner with Bol in the Netherlands and Bol is like the Amazon of the Netherlands. I think there's 8 million families there that have Bol.com accounts um, and we power their ebooks and their audiobooks. Um, our latest partnership was with Booktopia in Australia, which is a really well-known company that does print books to kind of remote areas in Australia. I guess a lot of places are remote in Australia, but they deliver print books very easily to customers. And again, we're powering their ebooks and audiobooks. But what is interesting about some of the other partnerships that we have is that we were able to work together with what would have traditionally been considered um, competition. Um, so, for example, in Mexico, we partner with both um, uh, booksellers Gandhi and Perua and power both of them. Um, and they would have kind of historically been competitors with one another. But now they come together and we offer the same ebooks. The kind of ethos is that there any kind of uh, quote unquote independent bookstores um, are better kind of together rather than trying to separately take on themselves and almost uh, and also the beast that is Amazon. Um, so that's sort of interesting. And then the same can be seen in Italy, where we do have two partners there, um, Mondadori and La Feltrinelli. So um, there really is this collaborative um, effort between like booksellers and the different e-commerce stores. Um, but yeah, this has definitely um, allowed us to have more of a global footprint. 
Yeah, I think that's really important because I, I feel like so much of the independent author community, you know, is pretty obsessed with America, with the US sales. And of course, that is a big market and it was the first market, really. Uh, and it, obviously, it's a lot bigger than Canada and the UK and Australia. And these are all smaller markets. But the rest of the world, to me, is a big market. And I, I've seen myself that the percentage of sales, when I first started out in sort of 2008 to 2000, 2013, maybe, that the sales was 99% US uh, and Amazon. And then since then, every year, the, the percentage has changed and more and more country sales are coming online. And, and I think we forget that a lot of the rest of the world is only just beginning to adopt digital reading. And many of us might be very used to it by now, but a lot of countries are just discovering it. And I wonder if, you know, what do you, <laughs> we, we weren't going to talk about the pandemic, but I have to mention it because I feel like <laughs> we've heard that the uh, acceleration of digital reading has grown incredibly during this pandemic year so far uh, with, with no end in sight. So do you, do you see that in this sort of numbers? I didn't prep you for this beforehand, so you might not have it, but have you seen a, a, a growth in a pandemic times? Yeah, um, we definitely have. Um, I think one thing to that is important to think about is that when Kobo began, I like Michael Tamlin, the Kobo CEO, he talks about this from time to time that we always saw digital reading as a 25-year um, evolutionary takeover. Like this wasn't going to be something that people picked up digital reading immediately within year one, year two, year three. It was always, um, we're always here for the long haul that it's gonna take longer for some readers to adopt. Uh, some people will take to it really quickly and then others will kind of be kind of slower. So as you said, like North America might've been on the forefront of adopting digital reading very quickly, but other countries are kind of slower. And what I've definitely noticed from the pandemic um, is that we did a lot of campaigns, especially in Europe at the beginning of like when the lockdowns were super strict, we worked with a lot of authors and, and publishers there to offer books for free for those that were really stuck at home. And this began in Italy and it spread into um, France and we did a number of other countries. And I think we gave away 10 million eBooks in a month, mm, um, wow. which is crazy. So I think this has led to more and more people like trying digital reading for the first time. Um, they might've been slow to do so in the past, but kind of being forced to, by just not able, being able to physically go to a bookstore. So it has definitely accelerated what we think was already a trajectory, but yeah, it has in the 25 years, it's probably ramped up a couple of years um, in terms of adoption. And we saw our customer base grow in these areas. Mm, that's great. You also mentioned Kobo Plus. Uh, maybe just talk a bit about that and, and why that might be something for the future. That's something that people are thinking about. Yeah, I know that subscription can be a scary word to some independent authors, but it shouldn't be. I think that people um, by and large are getting used to consuming media on a subscription basis when it comes to like Netflix. I mean, I subscribe to about four or five different things. Uh, I'm a real like I'll have like three on the go, but then I'll drop one and have another one another month, you know, between your like Spotify mm. or like um, just radio subscriptions that I have or whatnot. Um, so people are really kind of like dipping in and out. Um, and in that term, it's kind of like a new audience. So Kobo Plus is Kobo's subscription program. And it was started in 2017, specifically in the Netherlands and Belgium, because of our strong partnership with Ball there. 
And it actually was begun because we noticed that there was very high instances of piracy in that area, um, especially with ebooks. So we're like, okay, these people are reading, but they're not paying for books, but they want books. How can we kind of get them into an area where they're consuming books how they want them? And definitely the launching the kind of, you know, paying, I think it's uh, nine euro a month or something thereabouts uh, for an all you can read model um, definitely was something that dug into that area. And we found it a, a really big success in Belgium and the Netherlands. So we've been kind of closely monitoring that and then seeing, especially with the uptick in subscriptions um, in media consumption in general, kind of trying to see how this can roll out to other areas. And with that, we launched in Canada last summer, which, as I've mentioned, is our biggest market. So that was sort of an interesting thing to launch in because, you know, first kind of predominantly English language market as well. And uh, yeah, it's been going really, really well so far. We're seeing high conversion to like um, from trials to paid customers and people being really interested. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is that when I chat to authors about this and see how their books are being read versus books are being paid for, that it's not always the same books. Um, so in my mind, again, like this is a new customer because they're reading in different orders and it can kind of like how an audiobook listener doesn't necessarily listen to the same things that they would read. Um, I think I kind of find the same with subscriptions. So it's definitely something that is growing and um, there's no exclusivity with Kobo. I should have mentioned that off the bat. That's something that we want to <laughs> really like hammer out. So um, it shouldn't be a scary word at all. There's no requirement if, if you opt your book in, you can opt your book in anywhere else. And with Kobo Writing Life Authors, we also let you choose the country specifically. Um, so if you're not too sure, you don't want to put your frontless title in Canada, um, you can just do it in the Netherlands if you'd like. Try to make it as easy as possible for, for you to try it out. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, personally, I think subscription is uh, here to stay. And as you, I mean, as you say, we all have it for TV and for music a lot. It's something ridiculous now, like not over 90% of music consumption is subscription based. And we tend to lag behind the music industry by five years I guess in the book industry so and yes there are challenges but as you say I think that if we want to build a readership uh, then having our books available in these different ways is really important I also think you you mentioned in piracy is is an important thing I feel the same about books not being available in various countries so for example even when I lived in Australia like over a decade ago I'm, I'm not a pirate. I never have. Obviously, I buy books. But the only time I have ever felt like, well, I should just download this from a pirate site is when there was a book I really, really wanted that had been published in America and was not going to be available in Australia for 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's ridiculous. In publishers, this was traditionally published. This happens all the time, right? But it made me think, okay, that's really interesting that someone like me who has money buys books. And because I cannot get this in the way that I want to read it in the country that I'm reading on the device that I'm reading, then I'm thinking about that. So it, this is another reason why I'm so passionate about having our books available on all platforms, in all countries, in all formats is, you know, what this means that people, I think most book readers are wonderful and they will, if they can get the content they want and they are paying something for it, whether it's a percentage of the subscription or, or what, then that can actually really help. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I do think behavior has really changed, hasn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even personally myself, I'm a huge fan of Graham Norton's fiction books. I think he is a terrific writer. His book is not coming out in Canada until June, and it came out in September in the UK and Ireland. So like my mom is going to have to like send me the physical version of the book until I can buy it as a, an ebook here, which is so frustrating. It is. And I wish the publishing industry, I, I was at a, a conference called The Future Book in November here in the UK. I wasn't there physically. It was online. <laughs> but um, they would, you know, they were talking about this new newfangled thing where you could publish globally on day one. And I was just sitting there in the virtual audience, banging my head against the wall, going, seriously, guys, <laughs> like catch up to technology. This is what you're meant to do. And I know traditional publishing is much more territorial but I think this is really important with one click of a button you are publishing to 190 countries through Mm -hmm. Kobo right yeah yeah absolutely and like I mean wherever you want to choose like you can choose the areas if you don't want to but we would encourage like why wouldn't you go worldwide unless you've sold your British rights or something um but yeah you can choose to easily sell to 190 countries yay so so what are some of the benefits of publishing direct with Kobo writing life as opposed to going through some of the wonderful distributors that we know and love what are the benefits yeah I think the benefit of coming direct first and foremost is you're going to earn more money Um, The distributors and aggregators are great and they can get you into places that are really, really difficult. And especially as you're as a wide author, it can be very hard to balance like multiple storefronts and all these things. So I would definitely recommend using distributors for ease. Um, But where you can come direct um, if you're going to sell more, um, you're not going to forego an aggregator fee. Um, So we're going to give you 70 percent of royalties for any books that are priced Two ninety nine up, and that's dollars, or I believe it's one ninety nine um, GBP, and we don't have any upper price cap. So that would be the first point because I think money is very important to everyone. So that would be point number one. Um, and then the next fact that I would have about coming direct is that you get access to unique tools that you can't get through an aggregator. So one example of this would be our promotional tab. So this is a tool that we've created that allows authors to apply for promotional opportunities in prime spots on the Kobo store. And it's only available when you come direct to us. Um, so it's this unique kind of little give back because we have access to these promotions and can work with you on that. Um, so you'll need to be direct. And then in addition to this, though, we also do a number of promotions outside of this tool that are also unique to KWL authors. So one of those examples is that we do multi-author buy more, save more promotions um, quite regularly. And those do really, really well with our readers because if it's a romance buy more, save more, and you're there with a number of other romance authors, it's kind of uh, a boost on sales because there's so many of the same genre in one area. Um, And then again, these are kind of unique to Kobo Writing Life authors. I have two more points. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot. (laughs) Um, And then one other thing is that we also have direct audiobook upload. So if you have an audiobook that you want to sell wide, uh, you can easily do that through Kobo Writing Life. Um, And because we do everything in-house, your audiobook is published, um, we say within 24 to 72 hours, but in practice, it is often within 24 hours, uh, which is very, very fast. And then you can also avail of unique audiobook promotions. 
they're not within our promotion tool yet, but that is something that we would love to add in the future. But right now we have them um, run through our team. And then we also have promotions that we work through with libraries um, with our partnership with Overdrive, who we, we have a kind of unique and complicated but great relationship with. So we do um, library promotions on a regular basis. And then the last point that I would have is just coming direct to Kobo, it gives you access to the Kobo Writing Life team. So we're a team that really is entrenched in all things indie publishing. Uh, We love keeping abreast of everything that's going on within the um, publishing industry in general, but specific to indie. Um, It's really fun for us. It's fast moving. It's one of the things I enjoy most about working on this. And we really care about books and we want to help authors establish their audience on Kobo Um, but also want to try and give you advice about other platforms as we hear them. So we often do free consultations with authors that we can give one-on-one advice with. So if you're interested in this, keep an eye on our newsletter because that's where we'll tell more about that. But we definitely, I would say, coming direct, um, take advantage of the team that we have there because uh, we definitely want to help you succeed on Kobo. Yeah, I think that's really true. And you have a really lovely team and very helpful. And uh, it's very difficult starting out as an indie author, so many things to learn. And of course, we're trying to share lots of lots of us share our tips and things. But sometimes you just want to talk to someone about about your book or your series or whatever. So that's I think that's really important. So and I would also add that the promotions tab I in fact I did it today I have a reminder on my calendar every three weeks that I go in I apply for loads of promotions and then in another three weeks I apply for a load more and obviously you don't get every single promotion you apply for but that to me is one of my recommendations for selling on Kobo is go in and apply for as many as you can and uh, you might get some of them so what are some of the other common elements of success for indie authors who are doing well Yeah, um, indie authors do really well on Kobo in general, and I think they represent one in four books sold in English language um, as a Kobo Writing Life title, which is a huge number and something we're really proud of, especially internally as we talked um, about Kobo. So it's great to see indies being so well represented. And as mentioned with the increase in Europe, this is only increasing in the other languages as well. So I'm excited to see what this year has um, in in like has coming in terms of the sales there. Um, in terms of genre, it, it's kind of difficult to have a, a one blanket, like on Kobo X sells, and this doesn't do as well because uh, each country is so nuanced. But just to give a general answer, we kind of, you know, romance always does very, very well in any of the range of the countries that we have. Um, the subgenres might differ from, you know, what, people want to read in Canada might not necessarily be the same type of romance as they want in France or the Netherlands. But uh, overall, it's a very strong genre. And I think followed by suspense, mystery, thriller. Um, But that's not to say that there's any bad genre to be writing in. Um, It really, really changes from country to country. So for example, in Japan, uh, the readers are manga obsessed. (laughs) It's like (laughs) mostly manga that's, that's being read there. And we even have like different um, elements in our Kobo devices to make them more aligned for manga and specifically in that market so it does kind of change so I would say there is no bad genre and definitely write what you're into um, would be my advice in terms of what our readers are really looking for they're big fans of serialized content um, and we do the best that we can on our side to try and sell serialized books so if you have 
a multi-book series and a customer has finished book one and there's one available next, we'll try and prompt them to buy that next book. They're also really easily laid out on the product page on Kobo.com that this is a series of books. Here are the other links. Um, Please, you know, go to the next book, the next book. So I think it's kind of the same advice that I think for general writers is that the more books you have to sell, uh, the easier it is to sell them. That's the same on Kobo. So if your books or the story that you want to tell kind of lends itself to a series, I definitely recommend exploring that option. I don't think there's any winning tactics in terms of length. We have authors that have, they're writing book 15 of a series, but then we have people that, you know, only write trilogies. So I think it depends on the story, but, and I guess the genre as well, but definitely serialized content um, is something that our readers respond very well to. Mm. And then um, I think uh, price on pricing, because you mentioned free earlier and the I've had perma free books available, you know, for uh, seven years, I think now. And perma free when you're wide on, on Kobo and Apple and these other stores can be really good because it there are often promotional opportunities for free first in series. So what, what do you think? I mean, many authors struggle with with the idea of free. So what any thoughts on on pricing? As we're at the beginning of the year, I've been looking at last year to see how things are going. And uh, it's been really interesting to see the read through when you're looking at a free book um, or if we're doing different reviews with authors and their top selling title is book two in a series like that just really goes to show how well that free book does. So it's still something that is a very viable marketing option um, and something that I think is unique to independent authors because traditional publishers are still terrified of free. But I don't know if I've talked to an author that has never gotten the value back from a free book. So I definitely think that that's worthwhile. And it doesn't have to be a perma-free. I think it all goes down to your marketing plan in particular. So if you wanted to just have it free for a certain amount of time, um, you can do that through our tools. And then we also have promotions around the free page that on Kobo that are updated on a weekly basis. So we have different genre options. So if you wanted to have your book free for a week and be featured there, you could definitely apply for that. And we see some good, good read through onto that page. And we also do some, um, some advertising in the back end to try and drive readers to that free page as well. So we're definitely trying to move people there. Um, in terms of pricing, that's like not free. <laughs> um, I would say to think about things globally. I mean, we've talked about all the different countries that are there. Um, and just make sure that you're not just setting the price in one currency and then letting it auto um, convert for the others. Um, you want to set a quote unquote attractive price as consumers were trained to respond well to a 99 cent price point. So I would ensure that at least in your main currencies um, that you're doing this. Um, so I would say kind of, you know, your main currencies would be Canadian dollar, US dollar, the euro, uh, Great British pounds, Australian dollar and New Zealand dollars. Um, so at least have those set up. And if you have time, I would set your price in all of the currencies. So like there's a reason that we offer 16 currencies. We really want you to utilize them and, and set the most attractive price points there that are available. I do feel like sometimes it's really hard to know what the price should be because some currencies are, you know, what I might have as a £2.99 book uh, might be 900 <laughs> 900 in another currency or a thousand in another currency and you're like I don't even know what number that should be so do you have guidance on Cobra writing life for what 
international prices should be dependent on what the price in US dollars is, for example? Yeah, I believe that we do kind of we give you a rough auto convert in all of the currencies to kind of like this is the same equivalent value. Um, so you can use those, but it, like those might not be the most attractive. It could be if you're setting Canadian three ninety nine, that might be in US two sixty seven. So we would say go in and kind of round them up and see how they're priced. Um, but as I mentioned earlier about that um, flag option to see all the countries that we have Kobo's store available in, if you're not too sure about your pricing option or like if it's a competitive one in the market, I would have a browse around any of the markets that we have. So if you were wanting to see what's priced in Canadian, um, go in and see similar authors to you and what their pricing looks like. Um, so I think that's a valuable tool. Absolutely. And then the opposite end for me is the big mega box set. Obviously, three book box sets do well everywhere. But because you have no upper limit on the uh, on the royalty, I've got my nine book box. I think I might even have a 10 book box set now, but you know, a mega, mega box set. Yeah. Where I I sell it for something like $24. And of course they don't sell loads, but when one does sell, you get a good whack of money. Whereas if you put that on Amazon, for example, you, you can't price above $9.99 or you only get the 35% or whatever it is. So for me, having the ability to do a mega box set is great because, you know, occasionally people do just buy that and that's a, that's a big payout. And also uh, people doing paid ads for example on Facebook direct to Kobo for Canada that is something that can do really well and it's good in you do box set sales as well through the merchandising and uh, so I find that a combination of of free and also box sets and mega box sets and just playing with things a lot more which we can do as indies when you when you have a number of books. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Um, The box sets do really well on Kobo. I'd love to survey our customers to learn more about why they love them so much. But all I know is that they do. um, They tend to see the box sets in terms of convenience rather than just as a bargain. So it's almost as if the readers just want to have their books in one place. So yeah, I would definitely, if you are a serialized author, I would definitely have some box sets up. I know, Joanna, you and I chatted about this before, about like, what's the secret number? And three does seem to be the, the secret <laughs> number with box sets. I don't think there's much science behind that, just that people respond to it. But like you said, we do see books that are up to like 10, 15 book box sets that you can price at a high po- price point. Yeah, those are really good. Now, I did I did want to ask you about nonfiction because I, and it may be because there are no print books available and a lot of people buy nonfiction in print, but I've certainly struggled more with nonfiction. I sell mostly fiction on Kobo. So any, any thoughts on selling more nonfiction or, you know, people who write in genres that are not the romance slash mystery thriller slash sci-fi? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, We've definitely seen a big spike in nonfiction over the past few months, which I think um, we can kind of see mostly due to political book releases and some high profile memoirs, um, you know, Obama, (laughs) for example. Um, But it just showed that there is a big um, audience for nonfiction on Kobo. 
I think with selling nonfiction as a digital form, it can be difficult as some nonfiction books, um, you know, they're a bit more complicated than your average EPUB. I don't know whether people are kind of, well, not people, but Kobo readers are slower to gravitate towards nonfiction for that reason. So, you know, your average ebook file is just rolling text, but with nonfiction, there's often footnotes, annotations, like images or, or graphs and things like that, that can be, you know, you want to be able to browse and flip through the book. So with this in mind, um, our design team, so yeah, just one thing to highlight as well is that with Kobo, we do it all in-house. So, well, we're all working remotely at the moment, but in our office in Toronto, uh, we actually have the e-reader designers are there working next to the people that are building the website, working next to the people that are doing all our marketing and um, so on and so forth. But uh, so we get um, a really interesting insight into how things are created. Um, and our design team spent a lot of time working on making the digital reading experience as easy and as similar as the physical one. And I kind of just wanted to talk about one innovation um, for this that I think is related to nonfiction. Um, so we have this um we were calling it deep reading. I'm actually not too sure <laughs> what the public name for it was, but it was just basically making it a bit easier to browse through a book. Um, so we introduced this browse window. So if you have your giant um, or even your small nonfiction book open and you're reading a chapter, but you want to flip back to something that was mentioned in a previous chapter or even a book note, um, we've designed this feature that it'll pop up another window. So it actually keeps your page in the background and it, la it lets you scan through the book. So you can have a little flip at the beginning, flip at the back, and you don't lose your page at all. And then you go back to it. Um, so I think that kind of one thing that Kobo is trying to do is really design our products to be for the nonfiction reader. Um, and I'm a big nonfiction reader myself. And I think this, this is extremely helpful. So I think kind of innovating products like this and then putting more of an emphasis on our store um, would be something and kind of seeing an increase in nonfiction in the future, I hope at least. Mm. Um, is that helpful, Joanna? I don't know if that's answered the sales question specifically, but um, yeah, 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 I think that's fine. Yeah. And it's, I think yeah. the, the main thing is to consider, you know, different ads for different uh, platforms as well. So for example, I use BookBub ads to um, the BookBub pay-per-click ads to drive people to Kobo and also the other stores, obviously, but that there are lots of ways to drive readers to the different pages, whether it, whatever genre it is, there are ways mm -hmm. to advertise to that reader. And so I think that's important to keep in mind. But uh, one thing I did want to ask is that some people... That, that it seems to be this discussion of cycling in and out of Kindle Unlimited. So people are like, oh, I really want to be wide, but I'm just going to cycle my books in and out of Kobo and Apple and, and other places. Now, you mentioned this sort of long term business model, really focusing on that long term. And for me, I've found that my Kobo audience is a, is a slow growth thing. It's not like, bang, I upload my book and sell a ton I, although I don't think that's true on any store <laughs> but um can you talk a bit about this cycling or what is the best attitude to have around putting your books up on Kobo and building a readership for the long term yeah I would definitely say that it's it's not a, a get quick I always say this wrong a get rich quick scheme <laughs> um you know publishing is is kind of a general is going to be a slow burn of a, of a career and you really want to build up those dedicated readers. So if you're publishing wide, I think the main factor is that you're mitigating risk. 
um, you're not relying on your income coming from one place. It's been very tumultuous, um, you know, the world has in the past year. And if, if, if one thing happens to one retailer, that really can affect your income. So I think, you know, from a practical standpoint, it really is just um, better for you as an author to have many streams of income rather than just one stream of income. Um, it does make it harder as you do have to then manage many stores, but it does greatly reduce the risk. And then in terms of coming in and out of KU, um, you have to keep in mind that it, it really affects your ranking and um, temperature is what we kind of call the ranking on Kobo. So our store is not, it's not strictly based on sales in how we um, kind of populate book lists. You know, when you put in a title or you're searching by genre and the top ones that come up, it's not just um, best selling. Uh, we also take into account like how many people are searching for that book, how many people are clicking on things. So we're taking into account the temperature of the book in general. Um, so, and if your books are, you know, if you are just releasing pre-orders and then the second the on-sale date is come, that you're going straight to KU, um, that's really going to reduce your temperature as an author as a whole. And then you have to build it up again. So um, it definitely is better to keep things wide, to just keep your visibility there and to know um, where readers can get your books. And um, that's not to say that, you know, there's anything wrong. Like these are all personal business decisions that if you want to decide to publish a book first in KU and then come wide, like that's, it's completely up to you. Um, one thing that I would say is like take advantage of the team that um, Cobra Writing Life has, because I do think that there is a little bit of a difference between an author that has been exclusive for some time and is now trying to to hit the wide audience than one that is publishing day one and and trying to learn everything and, and hitting everything. Um, so we've definitely been seeing an increase in people deliberately wanting to increase their wide readership. So hit us up and we'll try and see what we can do because we know that you have an audience. We just need to find your audience on Kobo. So that's what I would say um, that, yeah, it's just really important to stay wide as much as possible. I know that Google and Apple would give you the exact same advice for your books there, that um, it just wrecks algorithms if you're coming in and out. Yeah, or even just in general. So I also sell direct from my website. And the fact is, if you give readers a choice, so every time I launch a book, you know, I, I have the big links, uh, like the five big stores of which you guys are one. And I have those links. And then I have my sixth link is going to be my uh, own website and people can buy it direct from me. And if you start training readers to buy from you on various platforms, you're going to attract more people and they'll sign and more email subscribers on those platforms. And, and in fact, that's another good reason to do the perma free and have a an email sign up at the back of your perma free. You will start attracting readers on those platforms. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, you can reach a few readers with your first promotion and then you just have to look at it as, okay, well, maybe of my email list is has been Amazon up to this point and now I'm trying to build a readership on on Kobo for example so I have to do that slowly I have to build up this readership so that's the attitude I have which is I want to keep training my readers to buy on the different platforms rather than just one of them and that that takes time basically Absolutely. And I think one thing as well is that there's a lot of advantages to going wide. Like I talked about some of the partners that Kobo has. So, you know, 
I wouldn't just think of Kobo as one store. There's multiple stores that your books are going to be available. So for example, I was chatting to an author recently and just suggested, I was like, oh, how about, um, you know, your Facebook ads in Australia? Did you know that you can also target Booktopia? You don't have to just target Kobo. And they made a change and very quickly had a sale as a result of that, you know? So there is definitely opportunities where you can find them in, in wide. It's not necessarily just one space I didn't sell one thing on Kobo it's kind of like try and think about what you can do in all of the arenas that are available fantastic right we're almost out of time but I did have one more question because you uh, have the Kobo Writing Life podcast and you also have YouTube videos and you've been doing this now personally uh, on behalf of Kobo (laughs) for a while and I, I wondered what what have you personally learned about this kind of content marketing and sort of any tips for introvert authors who might want to get themselves on audio and video yeah, I mean, I was kind of slow to being on video myself. It, I was, it was nerve-wracking at the beginning. Um, I mean, you always just seem like a pro, Joanna. So I would, I would look up to you to kind of see what <laughs> Over Joanna a decade. on her video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think in terms of podcasting, it really helps that our podcast has been around for such a long time. Um, it's gonna, it's in its eighth year. Um, so I think that um, knowing that you have this audience that really wants to listen to it makes it a little bit easier when you're talking to them. But I think um, just trying to be yourself and be a bit comfortable with it would be my tip. Um, Our KWL hosts, Stephanie and Joni, I think they do a great job at making it very conversational um, and, yeah, just making the people feel at ease. But the one thing that I've noticed, um, well, I just did it there. I'm really trying to get better at uh, my ums and slow down and listen to the bad habits that I have, which I think I say ah a lot as an Irishism, but I'm really trying to reduce that. So that would be some advice is maybe look at what you're doing in terms of speaking and kind of trying to see if you're being as clear as possible. Um, and then one of the greatest things I think for doing this sort of content marketing is really listening. And a lot of people aren't good at listening. Um, these are conversations. So you need to take the time to listen to what people are saying um, and really think about your answers when things are going, but also just have fun um, and share your personality. It's it's a chance for us to not just be Kobo. We get to show our, our own fun, you know, things that we like every now and again. So yeah, I don't know if that's super helpful because I still am learning how to get better at content Well, marketing. But I think that is the point. It's about learning how to get better by doing it as opposed to yes. trying to do lots of courses on things. I mean, sometimes you can learn more by doing one terrible video or one interview and just going, oh, that was so bad. But then you know what's bad so you can do better next time. So, for example, uh, <laughs> I remember years ago I interviewed someone and I hadn't done enough checking on them beforehand and they were just monosyllabic they would answer with a yes or a no and I, it, that is such hard work as an interviewer mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like no, this isn't the way it works you know I don't even know if I published that interview because it was so bad and then I, I came off and went okay so I need to as an interviewer I need to make sure that someone they, like you said it's a conversation it goes backwards and forwards and especially as a with a host like like I am I also want to talk about my own thoughts too so it having a conversation is so important but as you say tr- trying to get more comfortable with with who you are and just being yourself and that can be the hardest thing but it is the most important thing 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, you'll make mistakes and that's fine. But the more that you do it, the more comfortable you are, like like actually starting something. It's the same concept of a blank page. You know, once you get doing it, it's fine. But I remember the very first podcast interview I did it was with the um, spa girl, the SBA girls in New Zealand. And when we signed off and we said goodbye, I like hung up and they were like, oh, you didn't need to leave. <laughs> it's just like goodbye to the recording. And I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like I was just like, but that's the end of our chat, you know. So, you you make mistakes and you learn, and um, I don't know. It's just just not. I don't take it too seriously. I think, <laughs> and actually, that's really funny because that is a very good tip. And in fact, it can be as a new author or someone who's not very well known, that can be your chance to actually have a chat with the host and potentially ask them follow up questions or whatever you you like. I mean, I quite often. I mean, you and I had a chat beforehand, but I quite often stay on the phone with people afterwards and and have a chat. And that's actually the way we build relationships. So that's a really good tip. And I don't even think about that anymore because I've been doing it for so long so that no that was very valuable right so where can people find uh the KWL team and everything you guys do online sure um our website itself is kobo.com and if you want to self-publish with us it's kobo.com slash writing life and you can find us on Facebook Instagram YouTube and they're all under kobo.com and the kobo.com podcast is the title so Kobo.com. I said that wrong. The Kobo Writing Life podcast is the name of the title. So basically, if you type Kobo Writing Life into your search engine, you will find us. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tara. That was great. All right. Thanks, Joanna. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Tara today and that it gave you some ideas for publishing wide and marketing your books with Kobo Writing Life. In next week's show, I'll be talking to Debbie Young about how to write cosy mystery. One of the genres, I mean, it's a perennial good seller, cosy mystery, but it's definitely one of the genres going through a boom right now as people crave feel good, gentle stories to escape the pandemic blues. And uh, I know you'll enjoy the interview with Debbie. So happy writing. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.